I believe this, how we respond to the crises of life, because they're coming, they have and they will. How we respond to the crises in life will so often determine the direction that our life goes, whether for good or for bad. This chapter then, in God's word, we learn so much about David, and I'm praying we learn so much about ourselves. And so here's the sermon title today, it's this, uh, When Crisis Comes. When Crisis Comes. And so think about it in our world today, how pertinent this message is with the world that we live in and the realities that we face beyond us and then within us as well. Hi, loved ones, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're thankful, as always, that you have chosen to make Live in the Light a part of your day. And you've chosen to join us in the middle of a series on the life of David. And Robbie, it's been an important series, and, well, frankly, God's been using it, hasn't he? Well, I mean, we always just find ourselves so easy to interact with and, and, and find ourselves placed in lives like a character like David. And that's why so often, even these series like this on the radio, you know, we get so much feedback and encouragement. Just want to encourage you to, to continue to do that. It helps us understand how God is using this. It's so important. I continue at time to time to run into people who are such faithful listeners and live in the light. And what an encouragement that is. Because again, we're doing this by faith and we're trusting the Lord that he will continue to lead us. But we can see people changed by the truth of his word because, hey man, without him, we have nothing. Today's message, though, is another place for us to say, hey, where do I find myself again? Today is about crisis. David comes up. Listen, listen, loved ones. David comes up in the will of God in a crisis appointed for him to, again, find out where his heart is at. I wonder how many of us right now find ourselves in different forms of crises. Probably a lot. Have you ever thought about that crisis might actually be allowed by the Lord to test our heart and find out where we are, that our dependence upon him might grow and be nurtured, so that we may trans be transformed like his son, Jesus Christ? It's a thought we don't often have right away, and yet it's an incredibly profound biblical thought that is so often explained to us to be the will of God. So just maybe for those here today that you find yourself in a form of crisis, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray in a special way. The favor of God will fall upon you. The understanding, compassion of God will be felt within you and that you would know just how much God loves you as you seek to persevere and fight this good fight in the midst of the good and the midst of the heart and especially the crisis that might be with you right now. Oh Lord, would you work? We love you, Father. We love the listeners here at this program, and we pray you be working in tremendous ways to make us men and women of God, dependent upon you, trusting you, and so secure in you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God lead us uh, through his word today. Let's go right away to the text, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and here again is Pastor Robbie with today's message, When Crisis Comes. Please uh, find a Bible and turn to First. Uh, Samuel 30, worshiping the Lord in prayer, worshiping the Lord in song, worshiping the Lord now uh, as we open up the word of God together. And so, Father, we join right now, I pray, together, church, please agree to 
in yourself, in your spirit, as I pray these things, Father, we want to be men and we want men who look to you. We are not perfect. We sit every day, but we look to the one who is perfect. And this is our strength. Many men have walked in here even now, Lord, filled with shame and guilt and beaten up and have things said to them from the outside and things in their head on the inside. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh, I pray the accusations will stop and I pray the glory of Jesus Christ is seen. I pray the truth of Jesus Christ is known and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is received. We can't do it. And that's the point. No one can. But Christ in us is the one who does it. And so I ask right now, God, I ask right now, you will take even today's message so pertinent to men in our day, everyone in our day, would you use it? And would you bring encouragement, Lord, as your word says that you will bring a word to the one who was taught by God and he will give a word that will sustain the weary. And Jesus, this is what you came to do. And I pray you will help us now and help me, Lord, in my pathetic attempts to try to preach. I can't do it. But you can't in me, God. And so I pray that you would, that you might get glory, that you might be exalted, that you might be raised up for the glory that you deserve and the honor that you have, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none like you. So all of us together, men, women, and children, we raise our eyes and lift our voices to the one who is worthy. Oh God, may it be so today. Lead this time exactly as you would decide. Not our will, oh God, but yours be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. Amen. I'm glad to be in church today. Are you? Thank you, Lord, for your grace upon our lives. As we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find David in one of his most intense crises yet. Now that's saying a lot because David has been through a ton. David in his perpetual fleeing from Saul what he did is he decided that he was so weary of running from Saul, he would enter into the enemy territory of the Philistines. The Bible tells us he would live there for 16 months. Now, King Achish was the king of the Philistines, and David actually gained favor with him because King Achish said in God's word, he felt that David had kind of turned his back on the Israelites so much. The text says that the King Achish thought that David caused himself to be a stench in the, in the eyes and the ears of his own people. So King Achish kind of trusted David, it says that too, and he actually gave a town for David to live in with his 600 men and their wives and their families. And that town was called uh, Ziglag. So it was here that David had left Ziglag to raid some other towns. He returns now to his temporary home, again, where his family is and all these hundreds of other people are too. He returns home though to, to a crisis that was so serious that it put his leadership and his very life in danger. Out of nowhere, David is confronted with this massive crisis. Now, I wonder if you in your life have lived enough years in this thing called life that you have experienced, maybe not in the exact same way, obviously, as David did, but you have found yourself a thrust upon you versions of crisis and emergencies that you were simply not prepared for. And they're all going to be different in our lives. Man, your crisis isn't my crisis, but they're all crises nonetheless. And this is what David has found himself in. Now, now, I believe this. How we respond to the crises of life, because they're coming. They have and they will. How we respond to the crises in life will so often determine the direction that our life goes, whether for good or for bad. This chapter then, in God's word, we learn so much about David, and I'm praying we learn so much about ourselves. And so here's the sermon title today. It's this, uh, when crisis comes. When crisis 
comes. Again, a crisis has come for all of us in the past in some form or another, unless you're like three, okay? A crisis, they have lots of crises, don't they? Don't they? Don't. And crisis is coming for some even now. You're in the midst of what you deem to be a crisis, an emergency. And here's what we know for all of us who are human beings, crises will come in the future. It's guaranteed. I'm sorry to let you know that. It is called life. It's called being a human being. It's called the reality of the difficulties in this world that we can't control. And so think about it in our world today, how pertinent this message is with the world that we live in and the realities that we face beyond us and then within us as well. Crisis comes. You know, the questions I'm asking myself and I want you to ask yourselves right now too, when the crisis does come, who do we become? Who are we when crisis comes? And the next question is, what do we do? How do we react? Who do we become when crisis comes into our lives? Well, we're gonna learn a lot from David today because this is what happens to David. First Samuel 30, verse one, check out the crisis that David is confronted with out of nowhere. Verse one says, now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, God's grace and mercy there, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people, this is not made up story, loved ones, this is true, this happened. Then David and their people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Let me just stop right there. Loved ones, that is a crisis. David has returned home and found himself in the midst of a significant crisis. Crisis. Now, what do we learn? What does David do? What do we learn? That's our message today. Here's the first thing we learn. When crisis comes, we have four principles of truth we unpack today from God's word. When crisis comes, number one, this, I must strengthen myself in the Lord. When crisis comes, because it will, and it has, and it will again, I must strengthen myself in the Lord. Now, David and his men have just traveled on foot 80 kilometers from the town of Aphek to their hometown now, temporarily, Ziglag. They were hungry, they were tired, and they were exhausted. I like maps, you like maps. I'm forcing you to like maps. If you don't like maps, here's a map of what has happened here so we get some geography. Mediterranean Sea, of course, the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee up there a little bit. There is Jerusalem. They were in the Philistine territory of Aphek. This is where David actually wanted to march with the Philistines against the people of Judah. And King Achish was like, yeah, yeah, I trust him, I trust him. But the other Philistines were like, we can't trust him, no way. Get him out, get him out. The King Achish, no, 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 let him in. They're like, no, get him out, send him away. So they send David and his men uh, to return home and they take this route and they're gonna end up in the town again that King Achish gave to David in Ziglag. And this is when they return home and this is where they, they discover this horrific scene that they weren't prepared for. So you probably know that when you've been uh, away from home for a while, 
And whether on business or whether as a student at school, or whether you're just traveling for some other reason and you've been away from home for a while, you get excited to return to what we call the comforts of home. Make sense? We like to sleep in our own bed. Who likes their own bed in the house? Who likes their own bed? Now, a lot of us. Isn't it something like my bed's not great, but it's my bed. You know what I'm saying? It's my bed. It just beats a hotel or wherever else you're going to be staying. And so we love to return to the comforts of home. And if you like returning home, you like returning to family. You love the greeting and the reunion of maybe with your wife or your husband or the children that come out and they greet you. That's such a precious uh, moment for anyone, especially men fighting at war. And so here they are, weary, exhausted, and have the hope of seeing their family after being away and experiencing home cooking and the love again of their families and the embrace. And they get there though, and the devastation that sets upon their hearts starts really at verse one, and then the discovery of this only continues as they go along. So just imagine and live in the text, you're approaching the city of Ziglag, your hometown, and you get close enough, you're like, wait, wait, something's not right right now. You're sensing, you're hearing, you're even smelling possibly that something's not quite right. You know those moments you kind of walk into a situation, you just wait, 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 and your heart starts to beat quite fast because you're not, wait, something's wrong. Whether it was the smoke rising from the town, that would have been something. That's not a bonfire. Whether you're approaching there and it's eerily quiet, whether you're the man, you're, how come the children haven't run out to greet us yet? They would have seen us from miles away. Where are they? Where's the smile of my beautiful wife? And then all of a sudden they realize, whoa, 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 whoa. Something terrible has happened here. So imagine being David. I mean, just think of all that David's been through. Saul trying to kill him. The Philistines don't want him. Then he returns home. Everything he has owned is gone. And on top of that, his family has been taken captive by the enemies and the Amalekites. Then on top of all this, when the other men realize what has happened, they blame you, turn against you, and now they desire to stone you to death. No wonder then in verse four, it says, and David and his men wept until they had no more strength to weep. Loved ones, this is a crisis. This is a crisis. Notice it goes from shock to grief to loss, to furious anger, to massive distress, and then the threat of being stoned to death. Just let, like, let me ask you, as you put yourself in this text, if you're David, like in all sincerity, totally for real, if you're David, what do you do? Just pause. If you're David, what do you do? Do you run for your life? Do you run away and hide? Do you just resign right there? Do you contemplate taking your own life because there's no way you can recover? What do you do? See, this will be the turning point of the man or woman who's truly have a heart after the heart of God. If we do what David does next, verse six, verse six. And David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now that verse right there, that verse in my Bible, it is underlined. It is highlighted. It has comments beside it in the margin. And that was before I even got to the text this week. It was like that. Why? Because I believe this is the starting point and the turning point for the Christian life. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. This is where life is truly lived. This is abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. This is the man who decides at the hardest moment of his life thus far, he is going to turn in dependence solely upon the Lord. Because as Peter said to Jesus Christ, Lord, where else can we go? 
For you hold the words of eternal life. Isn't it interesting as the, as the vice grip tightens in, we find out what we really believe. In the crises of life, one of two things will happen. We will either pull away from God in anger and blame God he is unjust and unkind. Or in the crises of life, we will draw closer to God in a massive sense of dependence and need and trust in him. Because really, what is David going to do there? In the midst of all that's happening around him, what's he going to do? Rely on self? Well, that would be foolish. David knows his God. David has a heart after his Lord. So at his toughest time, when we find out, now we find out his theology, really what's within him. See, a lot of us say the right stuff, but when the crisis hits, we find out what we really believe about the theology of God. And David right here, we find out his theology is pretty awesome. Here's the theology of Dave. What he does in that moment is he recalls the faithfulness of God in his past. Did you know that God is only faithful and nothing else? Do you know God can only be faithful? Why? Because he's perfect. A God who is perfect never makes a mistake. When you deem God unfaithful, he's not the problem. We are. Our judgment of God is the thing that is sinful. God is perfect. He can't be anything but faithful. David knows this. He looks in the past of his life, all the different trials he's been through. He says, God's been faithful to me, not the way I would have chosen it, not the way I would have drawn up, not the way I would have decided what would happen to me, but every single part of my God has been faithful. He looks at the God of his past. You are perfectly faithful. He looks at the God of his present. You are perfectly faithful. And then he turns now and he begins to walk in the future of his life to the God who is perfectly faithful. That is a theology that you and I can take with us every single day we live, and that's a theology that will change your life. God can only be faithful in our lives. That's why David strengthens himself in the Lord his God, because there's no one else to strengthen yourself in. Men on Father's Day today, men, listen up. You must strengthen yourself in God, because there's no one else you can strengthen yourself in. If you rely on self, you're done. The greatest turning point of your life is leaning with all you got on the Lord and watching him fill your life as you become less and he becomes more. God is faithful. He's looking to work within those who are broken. And we have to believe right here. We have to believe and we know. How busted up is David? How contrite, how broken, how devastated is David? It says he wept until he had no more strength to weep. Then the men around him said, let's kill him. He's so broken. But I want you to see within David's life the dependence, three Ds, the dependence, the desperation, and the devastation lead to a rushing of God's strength and God's faith within David's life. This past week, we had a prayer meeting at our church. I'm sorry, if you weren't here, you missed out. You just missed out, man. Why was this prayer meeting so great this past week? Well, because the three Ds were there. We have a church gathering, dependent, desperate, and devastated in ourselves with all sincerity saying, God, we're dead without you. We need you. And what happens? God just fills that place. He fills a group of people who understand they can't do it without him. He fills people who know they don't have the strength to carry on. He fills people who call to him and say, God, I'm so weak. I need your strength. God works in people who understand they need him. And so David strengthened himself in the Lord as God because he knew he had no one else to rely on. When the crisis comes, oh, when the crisis comes, there's only one place to turn. Strengthening yourself in the Lord. Secondly, when crisis comes, I must find my wisdom from the Lord. 
From the strength of God comes the wisdom of God. Look at verse 10 now. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Okay, David now is ramping up the dependence and he's specifically doing it through prayer. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Basar, which where those who were left behind stayed. Notice this, loved ones, where there's true desperation, there's dependence. David's broken, now David is praying. Are we broken? If we're broken, we're praying. If we see ourselves for who we really are, we're praying. The linen ephod was a special apron the priests would wear to cover their clothing as they ministered before the Lord. David is getting very serious at this point. You know what's so interesting? Two chapters before this, the contrast of David and Saul. Saul almost, Saul almost. Saul seeks the Lord in chapter 28. What should I do? What should I do? He grows impatient. And instead of seeking the Lord, what Saul does, revealing his heart, he goes and he seeks a medium. He goes to a fortune teller. God, fortune teller. David, God, God, God. There is no plan B. Saul, I don't hear you. God, fortune tell. What? A me- really? A-, a medium? And then sure enough, Saul is days away from his disastrous end to his life. That was so close, yet so far away. But here's David in his dependence upon the Lord. He draws from the source of all wisdom. He draws from the well of wisdom. Loved ones, when you are in the midst of a crisis, there's one who holds the wisdom of this life. And wisdom, wisdom loves wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 7 is such a, one of my favorite verses, certainly in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Do you know the rest? Yes. Get I tricked last night. They said, the fear of the Lord. I'm like, no, no, there's another verse there that says something like that in Proverbs 9 verse 10. But Proverbs 4, 7 says, I've always loved this verse. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So how do you know you're wise? You love wisdom. How do you know you're wise? You talk about wisdom. How do you know you're wise? You long for wisdom. How do you know you're dumb? You don't talk about wisdom. Don't want wisdom. Don't seek wisdom. Do you talk about wisdom? You think about wisdom? Do you want wisdom? Do you long for wisdom? No. Yes, Bible, man, Bible. The wise person wants wisdom. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, whatever you get, get insight. Whatever you get, whatever you get, the Bible says. If you're gonna do anything in this life, get wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Well, then we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the wise person wants the wisdom that the Lord provides. This is David because he knows he has it nowhere else. He seeks the Lord. He waits in the Lord. And God says, yeah, David, you pursue, you overtake. And God promises him and you will rescue. Now look at verse nine. Did you notice verse nine? So David set out and the 600 men who were with him. Wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. Whoa, wasn't it like three verses ago that these were the men threatening to stone David to death? What happened? They wanted to kill him. Now they're following him to rescue. What's the difference there? I read between these lines right here and here's what we know happened. David strengthened himself in the Lord. When he strengthens himself in the Lord and he finds the wisdom of God, that is when the Holy Spirit of the Lord authenticates an individual. And when God authenticates an individual, people are following. Loved ones, don't do this. Don't force followership. 
Don't make people follow you. That doesn't work. They reluctantly get in line, but at the end of the day, they have no respect for what's going on, especially with you. David here, he humble. I love this, I love this. First Peter 5, 5 and 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God at the proper time, he will exalt you. David humbles himself in brokenness before his God in the midst of rocks being held up to stone him. He is strengthened by the Lord. The men see, there's our leader. They see his brokenness. They see the Lord upon his life. They see the wisdom he is gathering. And then they're like, okay, we're in. It's awesome. That is from a man who seeks to be strengthened and find his wisdom from the Lord in the midst of one of his greatest crises yet. Men, men, men. Oh, if you and I will be men who will strengthen ourselves in the Lord and seek to be broken and humble, but find the wisdom of God. I'm telling you, people around you, wives and children, you can't fake when God authenticates someone and you can't deny when God authenticates someone. And people who love the Lord want to follow someone else who is also following him. A.W. Tozer said, listen to the man with oil on his forehead. Follow the man who follows God. That's awesome. And that's what we need to be in the midst of the crisis. Listen to the man with oil on his forehead and David's men around him. They saw the oil on David's forehead and they said, we're in. The power of what God alone can do. David not forcing the agenda, but allowing the Lord to authenticate his life. And notice that God says, go, but doesn't tell David exactly where to go but just yes, go after them. Notice that when God says go, David perseveres through further trial. How do we know further trial? Well, notice in verse 10, look at verse 10. But David pursued and he and his 400 men. Why? I thought there were 600. Well, there were, but 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook at Basar. Tell me, these were all men who lost their wives and children. How tired do you have to be to not go after your, the women and children? How tired do you have to be? You have to be flat out exhausted to the point you have nothing left. That's how tired these men were. But here's David, man, leading the charge in the Lord's strength. And he said, that's fine. You 200 stay there. Kind of reminds you of Gideon. And God preparing himself in the weakness of man to exalt his own glory and his own strength. But David's like, okay, you guys stay here and we're gonna continue on. David fighting through with perseverance. I love that. And then when God sends his wisdom in our lives and guides us, God promises he'll provide for us as well. Please know this, loved ones. Whenever God guides you, he promises to provide for you. His way, his time, his will, not our way, not our desires, what he decides we need. But if he guides us, he promises to provide for us. Look what happens in verse 11 now. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink, a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. Notice the detail of the food that this guy's eating. Like he must've been nearly dead. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. Okay, though now the men are listening. You're what? You're servant to who? And then he says this, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev, the Carathites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. Do you think he's got their attention now? Ah, yes. Verse 15, and David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me. So this this servant guy is smart enough 
to say this, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me to the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. He doesn't tell them where they are yet. He says, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And then I will tell you. So David being a man of character is the one who does this. Notice, notice the Lord kept this guy alive to provide for his people the knowledge and the direction of where they were to be. Isn't that so often in our lives as we seek in the midst of crisis? We strengthen ourselves, we get God's wisdom, but God gives us step one. And so often you're like me, man. You're like me, I know you are. You see step one, you're like, I want step one through 10, God. Come on, give me step one through 10. I wanna see how this goes. Show me everything. God's like, no, step one. Like, come on, come on. Step, step, step four, step five. I was like, no, one. Two? No, one. Take step one and see what we do about step two. This is David, man. He's like, go pursue. You will overtake, but just go. And he goes, no idea. Finds the Egyptian guy. God provides for him because God is infinitely able to provide for his children whatever way he desires. And that's what happens when we strengthened in him and we find our wisdom in him. Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.